Welcome to Book Tour, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Olivia Snedden. Now, Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Bank by Bentley Little. Uh, here is his bio. Bentley Little was born in... Air- oh, by the way, um, no bio on Amazon, uh, even though this person has put out a ton of books. So this is pulled from uh, Cemetery Dance. This is part of a larger bio on the Cemetery Dance website. Bentley Little was born in Arizona a month after his mother attended the world premiere of Psycho. That's kind of cool. He received his BA in communications and MA in English and comparative literature at California State University Fullerton. His master's thesis was the novel The Revelation, which was later published and won the Bram Stoker Award in 1991. Since then, he has written many more novels and his work has been translated into seven different languages. Several of his novels have been optioned for film. How bad? A couple of, I have a couple of things to say. About it. First of all, mom's pretty fucking hardcore if she's eight months pregnant and going to see Psycho, right? Yeah, it's pretty baller. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, it fails to say it in at least the part of the bio that you took, but goddamn horror legend, and I'm embarrassed to say this is my first outing with a Bentley Little book. Yeah, this is one of those where it's like, ugh. We have to admit, like I've, like I personally, for the podcast or outside, never read anything by Bentley Little before. But yeah, big, big name in the scene. Yeah. Here is the synopsis for the bank. We know who you are. Can your can your current bank say that? We pride ourselves on providing unparalleled service to all of our customers. We're looking forward to banking with you. In the small town of Montgomery, Arizona, Kyle Decker's bookshop is barely breaking even. When a bank opens in the empty storefront next door, he hopes the new establishment will bring in more foot traffic. Trouble is, nobody has ever heard of the First People's Bank, and the local branch has appeared mysteriously overnight. Their incentives for new customers seem reasonable at first, but is it a coincidence when Kyle's wife has her identity stolen and his son receives emails that seem to know his private thoughts? or when the manager of a competing financial institution dies a gruesome death? Soon, if people in Montgomery, Arizona want to buy a new car or home, or if they need a small business loan, they have no choice but to work with the First People's Bank. As the bank makes increasingly bizarre demands on its customers, it becomes clear the town may be in too deep, and the penalty for an early withdrawal is too terrifying to imagine. I just want to say that's great shit at the end there, the the penalty for withdrawal. I love that. that's good stuff. (laughs) With his latest original novel, Bentley Little's dark, razor-sharp satire takes on the worst practices of our banking industry, and you'll never look at your loan officer the same way again. That'll do it. That'll that'll get you to want to read this book. See, I'm going to (laughs) disagree. So, a horror story about a bank does not on its face seem like the best idea for a horror story. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I've read the book. I'm still saying, <laughs> and, and, and obviously, I have a lot of thoughts. So we're going to talk about it, but that, I, that's an interesting it's point a weird... too. Yeah, because I don't really, I hadn't really thought about it in like specifically horror terms. Just in like, uh, does this is this something that would compel me to want to at least learn more about a story? And I think so. But yeah, when you add the horror specific element to it, this wouldn't make me think. Oh, yeah, like there's going to be lots of blood and gore in this. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll skip the prologue um, for, for purposes of this review. But essentially, it kicks off right right where it says in the in the synopsis. Um, we're introduced to the 
I'd say the closest thing we have to a protagonist. This book has a sprawling list of characters, but I guess if you had to pick one, it's probably the Decker family, and Kyle is the patriarch of that family. He owns a small um, used bookstore that's struggling, like a lot of bookstores are nowadays. Um, and he, you know, keeps hoping for for something to break for him to to be able to, uh, you know, make it a more profitable venture. And uh, lo and behold, right next door to him, essentially overnight, um, a bank pops up. Yeah, it's a little bit mysterious because like no one knew about it ahead of time. Like nobody, none of the, um, I guess, other business owners in the area. Um, and as we will discover in this book, there's lots of town meetings and it didn't seem to ever like nobody knew about it, despite of the fact that like there's a very active um, like local government um, yeah, so just kind of it shows up one night and the, the initial reaction is, oh, maybe this will draw more traffic to the downtown area and I will get, um, you know, a little bit more foot traffic from people coming from or going to the bank. If people are taking money out from their, you know, whatever from their bank, maybe they'll spend it with me, that kind of thing. So it's an exciting idea at first, but things are a little bit, even in the very beginning, a little bit weird. Um, for example... Uh, one of the things that's noticed uh, early on is the fact that like when you look into the bank, it seems to be like your classic, it's bigger on the inside type situation. Um, yes, for sure. Uh, there are some other weird things that are happening. So we'll kind of, I don't know how an order we'll take it or how far we'll go, but to give you kind of the, the setup for this book. Um, one of the other um, key characters in the book is uh, Brad uh, Neth, N-E-T-H. Um, he is the the sheriff of town. And um, pretty early on, our other introduction to the other bank in town, uh, the Montgomery Community Bank, is uh, it's time for them to foreclose uh, on a home because of due to lack of payment. So the sheriff has to go serve the papers. And that goes pretty south pretty quick as the person who gets the paper served immediately pulls out a gun and kills themselves. So already we start off in what's a really quiet, sleepy town that doesn't have a lot of crime. Um, I think the previous like two years before this book or something along the lines, there was a domestic um, uh, murder. Um, but really, it's not something they have to contend with very often. So we have that. And then simultaneously, the third bank in town, Bank of America. And if I had if I had any bets, because I know we're going to talk about how Bentley Little must feel about banks. I have to imagine he ran into <laughs> some troubles with, with the Bank of America at some point. And, and here's why. Uh, the Bank of America closes its doors, right? People show up there. There's no one there. So everyone in town kind of assumes they went out of business and decided to, to you know, fuck off out of their town. Um, but shortly thereafter, the entire staff is discovered dead of a unknown causes so some pretty weird shit going on in this town yeah and and one thing one observation i made so i did my little like dip in the toe reading one night um just to kind of get started get the book started and um i read like the first like 60 or so pages and even that early into the book i think the book's like maybe 380 370 380 something like that um even that early in the book i was like man everybody's life has some sort of bank situation going on. So like the title of the bank, if you think, oh, a bank is a part of the book. Um, yeah, but like it's every part of the book. Like everybody has some sort of interaction with a bank at some point, including like school children and stuff. Um, so, and it, obviously because things become more absurd and crazy as things go on. But um, yeah, like everybody, other there's a ton of characters and we're not going to talk about all of them, but like, for example, um, 
Anita Decker uh, is is Kyle's the bookstore owner's wife, and she works with this girl Jen, and Jen and her fiance, boyfriend, whatever, want to get a house, but they can't get approved for a loan. So like everybody's got some sort of bank aspect to their story in this book. Like literally every character does. It's interesting. So this book reminded me a lot of um, my youth. Like I, I, I have a bank account now, but I couldn't tell you the last time I had to go, had to go into the bank for something, right? Like everything's done via credit card, direct deposit, ATMs, whatever, bill pay, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I grew up in a family where there was at least once a week a trip to the bank, um, which involved depositing checks and withdrawing money and getting money orders to pay bills and stuff. So it, in in some little way, it felt like the town, um, like this story took place earlier than today. Makes sense? Because I yeah. think 20, the whatever, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I feel like there was a lot more. Everybody had something going on with the bank. Like, you have a car loan, right? I do. Right. Did you did you get your car loan online or did you go into a bank and like talk to a loan agent? No, I went to like got it at the place that I bought the car. Oh, okay. Or that. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. once upon upon a time, like that what you did was you went to the bank to 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 work that out, you know, and it, it's a little bit less of that today. Um right. than than is indicated in the book, I guess is what I was trying to say. Um yeah, and so obviously one of the things early on is is people trying to get a feel for this bank and, and curious people are, are going inside to check it out um and the and the new bank first people's bank is is doing everything it can to entice people to either open up accounts or transfer their their stuff or their you know uh, you know so there's there's all these types of incentives and all of them like seem like too good to like not too good to be true but like like it would be foolish to not change banks like you know no fees for anything ever and that's the pitch to how it starts but as the book moves on um requirements start to become a little bit more weird and a little bit more personal and a little bit more sinister and the one that i can say that reveals the least (laughs) about any particular part of the plot would be um at at one point a couple people who don't feel like they would qualify to get a a loan for a house, a mortgage, um, are offered a crazy great deal from the First People's Bank with one really interesting caveat is um, they they have to agree on paper that one of the rooms in the house is reserved for the use of the bank um, for a reason to be named later. And, And... obviously the couple's like oh whatever like they didn't think anything of it so they you know they signed the the paperwork but like that's really if you think about it obviously like i don't think that would ever happen in real life but like that that opens up the door for some really weird stuff to happen i mentioned that there is a a a great cast of characters um there's a lot and and everybody in some way shape or form um either winds up having some type of odd dealing with the bank, kind of like what Rob had just described. Um, or there's somebody who's really has a bad sense about the bank and really avoids it and avoids interactions, business interactions with it, like at all costs. So there is really kind of like two camps 
of characters by and large the majority of people are taking the the good deal um, but there are some people who are really um, concerned about it and, and one of the reasons it's mentioned right in the um, in the synopsis but it does seem like the bank knows an alarming amount of things um, about uh, about its prospective customers so without you know giving anything away from the book it would be something like Rob would get an email from the first people's bank that'll say hey buddy Nice job on your podcast. Listen, I hear that you're looking to buy some new hats, and we have a great um, uh, hat loan program available just for you. You know, so something super specific to the person, not uh, not always as uh, inane as as you know, uh, buying hats. And we know you do a podcast, but they know some highly personal things about people, which is kind of interesting. In that, that's the for me that was the one thing that um that really took this into the future so the the bank thing is is the bank thing and like i said i mean for a lot of people banks are slightly outdated um mode of of doing banking and that's mentioned in the book right that a lot of people are getting their car loans online and mortgages online and stuff but there was that thing and we've all experienced it where you were talking to somebody about something and next thing you know you saw a facebook ad for something very similar to what you were talking about so that that creep factor um, taken to the level it was taken in the bank was kind of interesting. Yeah, and it just gets um, kind of progressively weirder and more specific and, and more aggressive as the story goes on to the point of there's a certain level of absurdity to um, uh, the the way that the bank acts. Um, and uh, I would say to some degree supernatural. Um, so as things go on, um, overnight, an entire second branch of the bank springs up in a formerly, you know, I think abandoned parking lot or something like that, like an actual 100% new building with a whole new parking lot and everything shows up. So there is a little bit of a unexplained element to it as well. Um, and, and again, yeah, it just gets more and more um, over the top, I guess, as as the story goes on. Um, and, and we're probably going to be dancing around like the end of, uh, uh what we can say about <laughs> spoilers, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely grows, uh, t- uh, much more, uh, absurd than, than I expected when I started reading the book. Yeah. One of the other things that's kind of interesting, I guess I had said there were kind of two groups, um, of people in the town, but within those groups, there are like subsets of groups, right? So we have a, a whole group of cops that are um, constantly investigating the weird things that are going on. Um, you have a subset. There is a conspiracy theory radio host, um, as Rob put in the notes, the Alex Jones of this book, um, Chet Yates. Um, his brother is the one who uh, who suicided himself, who Jeffrey Epstein himself uh, at the beginning of the book. Um, but, uh, you know, there's that that growing kind of like militia type group around him. There are high school students, and that's kind of an independent group that has to deal with some things. And really, in a book that's only 388 pages, there are a lot of different elements at play. Like in how these particular—oh, there's the, the business owners. Rob mentioned that there are, there's no shortage of town hall meetings, right? Um, like the business owners are a group of people that are affected in one way. So it, it's really pretty methodically put together for, you know— for, for, for what it is, right? Like we're saying simply there's an evil bank and it's affecting people. But there there is some 
some interest. There was a whiteboard somewhere with a bunch of pins and red, you know, string tying things together, <laughs> I think, at Bentley Little's home. Yeah, and, and, and since this is put out by Cemetery Dance, I think the thing that we haven't talked much about is the horror aspect, except when we were talking about the synopsis. And so, like, yeah, people, you know, Livius mentioned people died mysteriously. There's some gruesome stuff that happens in this book. Um, and described in pretty heavy detail, too. So one of the deaths that happens earlier on in the book, um, a person is just, like, almost unrecognizable. Like, their face is caved in and stuff like that. So when there are um, murders, there's, like, a kid who's, like, killing animals and kind of a ritualistic way. So there is that that horror aspect to it. Um, and when, when it goes, I, it really kind of puts the pedal to the metal um, because there's some really gross and gruesome stuff that happens um, throughout the book. It's not... I don't want to say it happens consistently... Um, it's it's more rare than I expected it to be, but when it happens, I feel like it happens pretty heavy. Yeah, there's no doubt that that Bentley Little is brutal. No, no <laughs> doubt at all, and not just brutal. And we'll talk about this in spoiler talk. But there are two distinct moments in this book that brought the creep factor for me to like just a just a like another level. And I obviously I don't want to spoil anything in the book. One was a um, I guess a very realistic thing. And the other one, I don't, I don't, I mean, Rob and I probably tried to hash this out on how realistic it was, but I got to tell you, I actually got chills, um, which is saying mm. a lot for somebody who, you know, reads this kind of shit on lunch. Right. So, um, yeah, it definitely, uh, there, there's a reason that he's a horror legend for sure. I don't know. I think we might have to go over in a spoilers to continue this. What do you think? Now is as good a time as any, um, we're going to head over to patreon.com slash book talk about some of the unspeakable um, things and things we can't talk about too that happen in this book over there all patrons at any level of pledge which starts at one dollar a month get access to that so if you're not doing so already please consider um, donating a dollar a month that's uh, uh carry the one 12 bucks a year 12 bucks a year and you'd be uh, doing a, a great favor to uh, this podcast and to these two hosts all right we are back from a, a, a short but sweet spoiler talk where we got to talk about some of the gory stuff um, and solidify our opinions on a thing or two. Well, we also talked about Glimpse by Jonathan Mayberry. Just in case you listen and you're like, what the fuck were they talking about? We have come to a conclusion on what book we were talking about. It was Glimpse. So if you are not a current patron, uh, even at a dollar a month, you're going to get our spoiler talk and early access to episodes. So definitely check it out. And we're probably going to be revamping some stuff over on Patreon pretty soon. So um, it might be a good time to jump in. For sure. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I'm ready for wrap-ups. All right. I'll, I'll go first if you don't mind. I talked about this a little more extensively in spoiler talk, but um, this book was a great um, reminder of the type of horror that I used to read when I was a lot younger. Um, so big cast of characters kind of all coming together around one particular instance. Um, a little out there at times, uh, but definitely fun and uh, gory. And as I mentioned before, we went into spoiler talk and then talked about it at length, like gave me the chills, which instantly um, gets you more because it doesn't happen very often. So although I was not impressed with the premise, this book wound up being a lot of fun. 
um, unexpected fun, I guess is what I'll say. Um, the, the premise is a little, you know, uh, it comes off as a little silly, but, uh, this guy, um, really knows how to, how to take a, a weird premise and maybe a little bit of a personal vendetta against the bank of America and spin it into a, um, a, a really good tale, um, with the scoring system. This is one that oddly, I felt like the sum was greater or the, the sum is greater than the parts. What the hell is that thing? You know the thing. <laughs> yeah, um, the sum is greater than the its whole parts. is. The yeah. whole is greater yeah. than the sum of its parts. There you go. Sure. There you go. That one. So I'll uh, I'll go through where where um, a little bit where this got some dings. So audience, obviously, this is a a more narrow audience. All horror books are right. Like anytime we get a horror book, there's not there's never going to be a nine for audience because there's some people that are just would be taken aback by some of the things that happened in this book. Um, there were a lot of characters, so it was really hard to get attached um, to to any of them. And then I would say um, the pace. And just for me, um, I felt like the the middle, um, like we got it, but it like kind of kept going and kept kept like reminding us of the evils of of the bank. Um, so I would have cut that up a little bit. That being said, plot and personal score got eights. So um, overall, um, that rounded out uh, to a seven and a very enjoyable seven, I might add. All right. Um, yeah. First Bentley little book, uh, understanding that the dude's been pretty heavy in the horror scene for a long time, but apparently more so than me because I hadn't read him yet. So I didn't know what to expect. The The premise sounded um, kind of, and, and feel this is me not being an expert of this subject, but it felt a little like needful things to me from uh, like the Stephen King book, just from reading this synopsis, like here's a bank that promises everything, but it's a horror book. So like, you know, things could go wrong, that kind of thing. So it's interesting. Um, <laughs> once, once I got kind of the idea of what the book was trying to do, I, I really started to enjoy it. Um, and as I, as I said, kind of vaguely, earlier around in the, in the review talking about how um, things start to get kind of a, 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 a go to an absurd level of, of kind of exaggerated things happening that we could expect not to happen in real life. Um, but in a very fun and entertaining way, like, yes, there is a huge cast of characters in this story. Um, but I feel like what we saw from those characters was kind of consistently entertaining. Um, the only downside I would say is that, as as we said more so in the spoiler talk felt like there was so much plot that there was a very short resolution um uh that was everything was tied up really quickly at the end of the book um but my overall impressions i thought that the tone was great if you're just looking for kind of a send up of the finance industry and a, and a huge exaggeration of the idea that banks are evil um and you're less concerned with um a plot that kind of weaves through the entire narrative. Um, great book. The, the horror parts are definitely horrific. There's a lot of, there's plenty of gross and gruesome stuff that happens. There's some chilling moments. Um, and if you're interested in, in hearing more about those, I would check out spoiler talk. So overall entertaining. Um, the, really the challenges for me would be that um, there's so many characters and it was, it was a little bit, of a quick wrap up at the end of the book with what happened um, to finish off the story. Otherwise 
just living in this crazy town and seeing all the crazy stuff that happened was a lot of fun. And I'm coming in at 7.25 stars out of 10. I almost wonder if we should replace audience with resolution. Hmm. Because there have been a couple books lately where you and I have spent time talking about resolution. Um, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk that through. We may food, have to update our thought. yeah, yep, rating system. I'm uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned needful things because probably about forty pages in, I was thinking exactly <laughs> needful things. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, but that's what I meant. It had that that feel, that '80s, early '90s kind of horror feel. That's just it was really refreshing for me to read something new that 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 stayed with that classic kind of feel. So I guess that that means that we're going to keep our eyes open for more Bentley Little in the future. I guarantee you there'll be more. I think there's already like 35 or something. So I'm I'm sure that there's more forthcoming. Yeah, he he's he's since the podcast started, he's come out with six novels and two short story collections. So he's he's moving at a pretty good clip. So. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm, I'm going to not even do all the fake stuff. So um, tell me about uh, tell me about uh, Penny Dreadful. So I'm assuming you haven't seen it yet. I have not. Okay. So weirdly, Penny Dreadful City of Angels is due to um, the first episodes due to, to launch tonight. Um, but for some reason, so back on Friday night, no, it was last night. Time is, is distorted for me right now. Um, the other day, <laughs> I, I did my Showtime subscription just to like get it ready for for watching the the show, and and like right in front of me when when Showtime populated was like the episode, the first episode of Penny Dreadful. So I was like, oh, this is weird. It's not supposed to be up for a couple of days, but I'm definitely gonna watch it. Um, and so, do you know anything about what the show's supposed to be? Um, a little bit. I do want to say though that it's not just um, Showtime subscribers. They put that shit on YouTube. Like oh, right Showtime on. put it on YouTube. Yep, mm-hmm. on Friday, I believe. First episode available for free. Um, so everybody should definitely check it out. Uh, the basic. So the the first episode did less to like wow me with style and more to just set up the season. So it was more of a functional story than like a razzle dazzle kind of thing um basically the show takes place in la in the late 30s 1930s uh in the in the ramp up to nazi germany basically um and the theme is so there's a um, the the mexican uh population of la versus the whites of la is an over overarching theme and the supernatural element in this is Natalie Dormer, who plays like a basically like an evil, like a demon that's believed that's a part of like Mexican lore, who has a sister who is basically like the god of death or whatever, that type of thing. Angel of death. And um so Natalie Dormer sees all of this kind of race tension, racial tension in LA, and starts kind of stoking those fires to make it worse and worse. Um, while at the same time, like, uh, the whole Nazi thing is ramping up, obviously, um, World War II kind of about to roll out. I don't remember the dates of that, so I might be sounding like an idiot right now. But anyway, so there's a little bit of that, like, 
Um, there's like a Nazi element to it too. So the first episode really just sets the stage pretty heavily for, um, there's all of this like racial tension going on in LA and, um, Natalie Dormer's character is basically, um, manipulating things to go in like the worst possible direction. It's kind of interesting. I'm glad you said that for some reason, I thought it was going to be about brujas, like Mexican witches. So it's kind (laughs) of, uh. I think and I don't know that that won't be a component, but yeah, I, I just assumed that Natalie Dormer was using some type of, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, right? Like, yeah, like a human yeah. using magic. So. Oh, she's an actual yep. demon. But um, there is so one of one of the main characters, um, uh, the the guy who's a detective who's Mexican, um, in the beginning of the first episode, in like what is probably the worst demonstration of. Um, visual effects I've seen in a long time. There's this fire in a field and his dad dies and, um, and he's trying to go to his dad, but this angel of death woman, who's like Natalie Dormer's sister character, um, pushes him back as he's a kid. He's like a kid. He's like six or seven pushes him away. So he doesn't get hurt by the fire. And so it leaves a handprint on him. So I'm assuming that this character, who's like one of the main characters, some magical thing, is going to come up eventually with him. Like he was touched by the angel of death. So that's probably going to give him some sort of weird powers or something. And his mom, yeah. um, prays to this angel of death and stuff like that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I totally, I definitely think I'm going to check it out. Um, it might be one that I, I let sit till there's a few episodes. Yeah. It's definitely laying groundwork more than, anything but i mean rory kinnear's back and i loved him in the original penny dreadful um nathan lane plays a a detective who's the partner of this other character and i fucking think nathan lane's an amazing actor um even brent spiner's in it do you know who that is i don't know who any of these people are i'm sorry so (laughs) brent spiner was in um the star trek the next generation he played the android guy data He's he's in he's in this. Uh, I've never seen it, but I I know who you're talking, you know talking about. about. Like he's a he's a meme. He's a meme, basically, right? <laughs> a lot of memes with that dude in it. Yeah. Of course. Okay, so you don't know who Nathan Lane is. Yeah. I'm just gonna let you look him up. No, I'm not even gonna no. bother. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's cool. Yeah, you're gonna have to Nathan do that Lane. Around. He was in Birdcage with Robin Williams. He was in. He's he's just a great actor. Maybe he was at some point in something I've seen too. Who knows. I mean, I would hope I would. You don't watch movies as much just, as I, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I'm looking at his face and I'm like, no, not nothing. No, <laughs> no Modern bells. Family, Penny wow. Dreadful. No, Crime Story, American Crime Story, Encore, George and Martha, Teacher's Pet. Nope, pretty sure I've never seen any of these things. Oh wow! Uh, All right, well, but that doesn't mean anything. Listen, sometimes, sometimes I find that I'm more endeared to people I I don't have like a logical. Um, correlation to like a character <laughs> yeah like, the, like, like there's nothing yeah. worse than find a character you loved and you know real well and then you're trying to like fit him into a new role that that he's taken on and sure. all you keep thinking i mean it happened for for um david Duchovny, friend of the podcast um when californication started it was so hard for me to stop thinking of him as as Mulder. yeah but then now, when we went back and watched the X Files, it was hard for me to stop thinking of him as Hank Moody. So Shatner, yeah, Denny Crane. <laughs> what you're thinking of him as? See, fucking... 
<laughs> Captain Kirk. Well, you know, well, the funny part is I watched, I saw, I, I, I never saw Star Trek: The Next Generation, but I did watch some Star Trek when I was a kid. I wasn't yeah. a fan. It's just like in the seventies. Star Trek was like the coolest thing that was on TV while all the rest of the stuff was like, you know, like adult drama. You know what I mean? So I never loved it, but I watched it enough. I think there was enough time and he had aged so much that I never like I knew he was Captain Kirk, but I didn't really. Gotcha. That makes sense. Denny Crane is his best role as far as I'm concerned. And I saw him in TJ Hooker, too. Don't forget about that, (laughs) Jim. Yeah, I forgot that he was like he has a, a long, long acting career um two of the best twilight zone episodes uh, did he play the he was in the twilight zone episode that where the thing was on the wing of the plane or whatever right yeah and that's not my favorite of his i forget what it's called but there's one where him and his wife are um their car breaks down in a small town so they go hang out at this diner and the diner has this little fortune teller thing where mm. you put in like a nickel or something and it tells you your, their fortune and he starts taking it some things happen but he takes it so seriously that he's like paralyzed with fear to act against what the fortunes say nice i think it's really one of the best episodes of the twilight zone yeah well that was a weird tangent um I, I, here's what i'll say i'm definitely gonna be watching the rest of the penny dreadful season um natalie dormer in the one thing i will say she plays one at least four or five different characters in this one episode yeah. because she's appearing to people and, and manipulating them individually. And she just does an amazing job. I think she's an awesome actress. Do you know who that is? Yes, I know who Natalie <laughs> Dormer is. Um, I, uh, I didn't want to say, cause I didn't know if I was spoiling anything for you because when I looked up to make sure that I wasn't imagining that it was on YouTube for free, mm-hmm. um, like the third thing down was Natalie Dormer discusses the four roles she plays. And I was like, Oh shit, I don't want to say anything. Cause I didn't want to, potentially you know spoil something for you Um, if that didn't already happen yeah yeah that did and now that you now that i think about it for people who haven't seen the episode but i think it's i think it's might even be in the trailers that you see her in different like look differently so i'm I'm not worried about spoilers natalie dormer of uh game of thrones fame i know she's been some other stuff but i couldn't she's just yeah not She's got that weird hot thing going on where, like, mm-hmm. yeah, she looks a little I agree. weird, but is incredibly hot. I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you on that. <laughs> so what about you, man? What's going on with you? Um, <laughs> nothing anywhere near that interesting. Um, <laughs> I started watching. Here's here's how uh, here's how you get me to watch something weird on Netflix. You say, if you loved Gossip Girl oh, and boy. How to Get Away with Murder. You're going to love this show, Elite. So I'm like four episodes into a um, Spanish, from Spain, Spanish, like um, drama involving a murder at a high school. Could be the Spanish Twin Peaks, although it doesn't happen um, at a high school. No, no, this is this is a lot more like Gossip Girl. It's a. Uh, it's 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 a little tropey. So it's uh, this <laughs> elite academy. But um, some a bad thing happened at the local like poor kids school. So three kids are awarded a scholarship to this rich school, and then of course all of the um, you know the the strife that that causes and the uh, you know the interactions that they build. But it's one of those where you find out like right away that there was a murder, 
and there's a series of interviews that happen. So each like whatever 50 minute episode, like they'll cut back to the detective interviewing one of the characters like three or four times, like in short clips. And that's how you start to form like the story. Um, but not bad so far. Like I said, I'm like four episodes in. There you go. I'm probably, I'm going to be honest with you. Probably not going to watch that. No offense. No. Did you watch too hot to handle? Cause I recommended no. too hot to handle. I feel like in one of the last episodes that we, so interestingly, I had not seen that um, the last time we talked about this. You're like, yeah, you probably see ads for it on Netflix everywhere. I hadn't when we talked about that. Um, and it wasn't until just a couple of days ago that it kind of surfaced. But it wasn't one of those like marquee things ever for me. Like Tiger, whatever bullshit was up there a lot. Um, <laughs> it, it showed up as one of the tiles, like a kind of new stuff, but like only a couple days ago and I, and I'd forgotten you've even mentioned it. So when I watched and I, I you highlight over it and then it plays automatically on top mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, that's that shit. Livius was talking about. And I just I kept going. Yeah. Um, I guess I did. I, I forgot to mention cause it was so short, but um, did you watch afterlife on Netflix? The Ricky Gervais? No, uh, dude, it's really worth watching. So, I think season one is six or eight episodes and they're like 20 minutes each. And then season two is six episodes and they're like 23 minutes each. It's uh, it's weird because it's one of the saddest, um, funny shows. Like it's, it's deeply, it's depressing. So it's, it's essentially Ricky Gervais's wife has died of, um, the character he plays. His wife has died of cancer and, uh, he just wants to kill himself. Like he just mm-hmm. does can't find anything good in the world. And it's, his interaction with the people around him and stuff. So it's, it's funny, but then really, really depressing too. Hmm. Like sometimes at the same time, oddly enough, like you're really <laughs> depressed and it's kind of funny. Um, but the season, season two dropped on Friday. And again, it was six episodes of 20 minutes. So it's like watching like two movies though to catch the whole thing, but it's, it's definitely worth watching. All right. I'll put that on my list. Um, we got anything else? I want to talk about the next two episodes because years and years in the making these (laughs) next couple episodes. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, for sure. Right. Like a, like a highlight. I'm going to let you break it to people. You, you talk about it. So first of all, I want to acknowledge that this is going to be the next episode is going to be probably like our seventh book in a row. Um, And it's weird to say because we've had um, interviews and stuff, but if you just go week by week, like we haven't had an interlude, I think, since the beginning of March or something like that. So we had like twelve episodes of book interview, book interview, book interview, and we're going to continue that. the next The next episode you're going to get is our review of Shakespeare for Squirrels by Christopher Moore, and then promptly following that later in the week is going to be what we've been waiting for since I think 2012 when we. We met him up at that bookstore in Milwaukee and we like jokingly said, Hey, you should come on our podcast. And he's like, okay, but we didn't actually do any communication about it. He's coming on our podcast and we're going to interview him, which is pretty great. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's weird. So like collectively, I think you and I can agree on a favorite book. Like if we really had to sit down, we could talk about what our favorite book is and, and come to an agreement like, like we do in like the year end episodes. Right. But I, I think if we share one author that mm-hmm. we are most excited to have on this podcast, this is it. Right. Christopher Moore. Yeah, it's been so like doing this podcast has always been great because 
um, I discovered that talking about books is even better than just reading them. So this book, this podcast is like massively enhanced my life and, and one of my favorite hobbies. Um, but it also, yeah, it made it so that we are closer to the creators. And um, yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things where if you talk to us year one of the podcast and, and they said, what's your like, you know, wish list of, of authors, he would definitely be high on the list. For sure. So your next two episodes will be Christopher Moore Palooza, one book <laughs> review, one interview. And then after that, it's going to get a little funky for a little bit. You'll see some weird things coming yeah. up on the podcast, I think, as we uh, – I had a trip that was canceled, which gives us essentially like two weeks of uh, stuff we had to create on the fly. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to at least one of those. If it comes off the way I, I'm hoping, and <laughs> so I don't want to say too much. Rob knows what I'm talking about, but I am I am very much looking forward to it. It's uh it's been a great year so far, Rob, and I, I foresee the rest of the year being equally as great. Yeah, there's there's just stuff coming up, man. Like I, I'm. 500 episodes is around the corner and mm -hmm. like to me that's that's one of those things where it's like holy shit i i can't i can't say i've done 500 of anything like really ever in my life so yeah um, that's a big deal um and yeah there's and there's just more awesome stuff coming up as far as like the books we're reading the people that we're going to have an opportunity to talk to um so in in, in all of the uncertainty and like livius's trip got canceled my uh, book expo got canceled. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Bummers. But I feel like at least we're making up for it with the cool stuff we get to do on the podcast. For sure. And 500 is creeping up much faster than we expected because we didn't expect to have a bunch of <laughs> bonus interview episodes either, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we were talking about this a couple of months ago, we didn't think we'd drop like five, six extra episodes. So. Yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be fun. So stick around. Um, who knows what kind of crazy shit we're going to announce on our 500th episode? I have an idea of what oh, that God. might be, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm we'll, we'll see. <clears throat> we'll see. Um, so lots of lots of good stuff heading your way. Um, if you're not already, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. A uh, dollar a month is all we're asking for. Although we'll take whatever you're willing to give. That's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Livia Snudden. and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.